one. Master, master, where's the dreams that I've been after? Master, master, <laughs> promised only lies. That was amazing. Listen to them, children of the night. What music they make. <laughs> wait for this episode to get get us finally sued after all this time finally (laughs) after all of this time and all of us talking about it this is the one that finally gets us sued when i saw this in your notes i for some reason assumed that you were just gonna be playing the song i didn't realize that's what i had assumed (laughs) that's officially how it gets sued. you can't use metallica for anything (laughs) (laughs) hey everybody it's us your favorite spoopy movie people I'm Sam, and it's my turn to talk first, so move out of the way, Palmer. I got this. And Alex, you did a great job last week when you got to do the intro, too, but you're a lady, and I don't make a good body double for ladies. Uh, At least I don't think so. So I'm going to try my best to uh, be a mini-me-style stunt double for Palmer. How are you guys doing? Good. Good. I'm doing all right. Yeah. Yeah. We just had a a pretty at-length conversation about ice cream sandwiches right before this podcast. (laughs) I am starving for an ice cream sandwich, and I do not have one. Yeah. That is uh, doubling down on the fact that I have not eaten yet today, so now I really just, I'm, I'm starving. I had a breakfast sandwich, and now I want to top that off with a nice ice cream sandwich. Dude, speaking of <laughs> ice cream sandwiches, uh, watch, like, the Binging with Babish. He did, uh, he did a YouTube video on how to make your own ice cream sandwiches, mm-hmm. and he does it with, like, ice cream custard and waffles, and it Fuck sounds off. so <laughs> fucking good. Dude, he, like, makes the custard and the waffles and just, ugh. Oh. Kelly and I are going to try that one one of these days. Yeah. Hell yeah. I've, I've been watching a lot of binging with Babish. Yeah. Yeah, it's because it's like, it's like, I don't, I live vicariously through that man. I don't know how yeah. else to say it. <laughs> yep. Do you guys remember when we did deep fried hamburgers like he did? Yeah. You remember how those turned out, right? <laughs> the first couple they were really good. turned out all right. The, the first, first really batch was a trial run. I, I enjoyed the first batch. After that, I feel like they started getting like burned. I think like we needed to change the oil. Change the oil, yeah. yeah. But the I first batch I thought were really good. Yeah, yeah, it was it was fun. It was fun. I definitely like the product that we ended up with though looked nothing <laughs> like the product that he ended up with. <laughs> Absolutely not. Ours looked like a amateur made it, which yeah. we are. Yeah. I just don't understand how we screwed it up that badly. Because up until we dipped it in the batter and put it in the fryer, they looked like good smash burgers. They and did. then and then we put them in batter and put it in the fryer and they just they turned they into died. mush. They dissolved. <laughs> <laughs> Or there was like too much batter, so then it was just like a large ball of batter. Right, right, yeah. So like, uh, for people, didn't we double fry some of them? We did. I think and so. Then we stopped doing that. Yeah, we we the first batch I think is the are the ones that we double fried, so, and they came out looking like giant softballs. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, it was an interesting experiment that I'm glad we partook in. Yeah. Yes, we had some great pre-quarantine times. I'm <laughs> looking did. forward to doing them again. One day yeah. in this post-quarantine world, <laughs> we'll fry stuff with masks on and <laughs> right. six feet away from each other. I was going to say goggles, but I feel like maybe we should have been wearing goggles anyways because there was a lot of hot oil flying around. <laughs> <laughs> so why are you going to be a body double for me? What's going on yeah. here? Yeah, so I mean, I don't really want to be. 
a stunt double for you. I don't know if anybody would want to, um, hey. but it works with what we're about to dive into. Uh, so we talk about stunt people a lot, yeah. Um, especially the last couple of months, because uh, we're all about them crazy tricks and crazy stunts. Um, so there's a couple of things floating around the interwebs that I found this week uh, that are specific to stunt people that I thought were really cool to talk about. Uh, the first one is pretty lighthearted. So uh, as we recently talked about uh, Quentin Tarantino and all of the lovely ladies in his movies, uh, Zoe Bell started a video on Instagram, um, or I guess a, a hashtag on Instagram called the Boss Bitch Fight Challenge. Uh, that she had put together to kind of help get us through these quarantine times, or at least help get her through the quarantine times. Um, it's about five minutes long, and everybody that's in it is in it for, you know, 20 seconds or so. Um, but it's got women from all over the Tarantinoverse, the DCEU, the MCU, Charlie's Angels, strangely enough, um, and a bunch more. Uh, some of the familiar names include actresses, Drew Barrymore, Juliette Lewis, Rosario Dawson, Florence Pugh, who I think had my favorite moment in the video, uh, Halle Berry and Margot Robbie, along with all sorts of stunt women, um, starting and ending with Zoe Bell, but also including Heidi and Renee Moneymaker, Tamiko Brownlee and Ming Kui, uh, and a bunch of others. Um, and pretty much the way that it worked is that it starts out with zoe just like reading a book on her couch and saying she's super bored and wants to play with her friends and then decides that she can so they uh they attack a video camera that's looking at them first person and every time the camera gets hit it switches to another person who looks like they're the ones that got hit and they just kind of mm -hmm. kick each other's ass all around the world uh and it's a lot of fun uh nice. florence Pugh gets hit and then she like stops and all the music behind it stops and she just says ow really loudly and then she picks up a wine bottle to hit back and then stops and realizes that she doesn't want to waste her wine. So she puts it down and grabs what looks like a dog toy, I guess, uh, to keep it going. Uh, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's available on Instagram and all over the internet. Uh, but on a less cheerful note, uh, I wanted to talk about the some of the realities that come with being a stunt person. Um, there's an article that was released by the LA Times earlier this week that I came across. Uh, regarding Olivia Jackson, who was a stunt double for Charlize Theron and Mad Max, Fury Road. She worked on various Star Wars movies and Marvel movies. Um, but her most recent credit was as a stunt double for Mia Jovich on Resident Evil uh, in 2014. Yeah, this um, one's heartbreaking. And so that sounds like it's a while ago, and that's because it is a while ago. So uh, the reason that was her most recent and last role was because she lost one of her arms when a stunt went wrong. Um, so the South African-based production company Davis Films Impact Pictures, along with stunt coordinator uh, and his company Piranha Stu uh, Stunts, um, as well as the vehicle company Bickers Action South Africa, uh, denied any responsibility for the accident that we're about to talk about. Um, and the writer and director of the movie, Paul W. Sanderson, along with producer Jeremy Bolt and the production companies were not party to the lawsuits and declined to comment on this story. But in 2019, uh, Jackson sued them anyway, then withdrew her claim with her lawyer citing jurisdictional issues. Sony Pictures, uh, who owns Screen Gems, who distributed the movie, uh, was not a defendant in this. So... 
On September 5th in 2015, along a section of abandoned highway that was separated by a grass verge, various cars were strewn along the sides to build the scene for Resident Evil The Final Chapter, uh, which was released in 2016, going on to gross over $300 million globally against a $40 million budget. Uh, Jackson was expecting to perform a fight scene stunt, but due to rain was asked to do a motorcycle stunt instead. Um, she had to speed the motorcycle to roughly 45 miles an hour towards a camera that was attached to a mechanical crane mounted on the side of a Mercedes SUV that was driving directly at her. Mm -hmm. Uh, the plan was that as she was coming towards the camera, the boom would lift the camera and kind of go over the top of her head and rotate as she passed underneath. Um, and in the final of three runs, the boom lifted too late and she smashed into the camera, damaging her left arm so badly it had to be amputated um, and also fucking up her face so bad that you could see her teeth through her cheek. Uh, she oh woke God, up. That's insane. She woke up about two and a half weeks later in a hospital from a medically induced coma uh, where the doctors performed life saving life saving surgery. Um the reason that the LA Times ran this article now is because it wasn't until recently that the lawsuit was finally resolved. Uh, it took the next four years for her to quote-unquote win some sort of ruling as the High Court of South Africa uh, dismissed Jackson's claim against Davis Films and the other individuals last of year. Course, of course they did, because South Africa mm -hmm. is corrupted did, as fuck. And determined that the case would be governed by the Road Accident Fund. Uh, explained by the LA Times, this fund indemnifies drivers and compensates victims in road traffic accidents, but it caps compensation for medical expenses and limits payouts for loss of earnings at 9% of your annual income. Uh, according to Jackson's records, that means that it could be less than $15,000. Yeah, that's that crazy. Paid out from all of this. That's crazy. That's like one trip to the fucking hospital, dude. Like, right? Yeah. Right? <laughs> Last month, though, they did find the driver of the vehicle that had the boom attached to it, Roland Hilton Melville, negligent. Uh, he cited expert witnesses who agreed there would have been virtually impossible for Jackson to avoid the accident. Uh, the director had sought to get a more exciting shot. The insured driver miscalculated the margin for error and his command to lift the boom. Uh, the decision also absolved Jackson of any fault and determined the road fund was liable for damages. I don't know why... Olivia Jackson would be considered liable to be at fault here. Um, I don't really understand like the, the, the legal impact of determining fault in an accident like this. I guess maybe they could argue that like, oh, well, they did argue at one point that she was driving too fast. Um, but apparently that was dismissed. Um, so she's alive and well she actually got a really cool tattoo of she did right <laughs> uh scissors uh on a cutting on a dotted line right above where the amputation spot is that she apparently came across from a war veteran who had something similar jesus um, but it's not just olivia jackson who's dealt with stuff like this so last year an atlanta jury awarded 8.6 million dollars to the family of john berniker who was killed in 2017 i think we talked about that when it happened um on the set of the walking dead uh prosecutors said skirting basic safety rules was behind a 2014 film set tragedy in georgia where a 27 year old camera assistant sarah jones was killed along with seven others injured when a freight train hit the crew filming midnight rider uh randall miller who directed that one pled guilty to involuntary manslaughter in 2015 
uh, and was given a two-year prison sentence, which was the first of its kind in Hollywood history. And the assistant director was sentenced to 10 years of probation after being found guilty of involuntary manslaughter and criminal trespass. Another stunt woman, Joy S.J. Harris, died after a motorcycle stunt for Deadpool 2 went sideways uh, back in 2018 up in Canada. Um, so the reason I bring this stuff up is, you know, the more we do this and the more we dig into these movies and the more we talk about all these stunt people that make some of our favorite scenes happen and come to life, um, it's important to remember that it's a lot more than just the director's names that get attached or the actors that we see on screen. Uh, because behind every Scarlett Johansson or Mia Jovovich or Charlize Theron is a badass willing to risk, but hopefully not lose life and limb uh, to get the shot. And for the people that do their own stunts, um, Tom Cruise excluded, because there's not much of a stunt for running, uh, we don't hey, want them hey, jumping. that motherfucker jumped out of like a goddamn, like out of the ozone layer, dude. Like he's getting ready That's to true. film. He also was mounted to a station. fucking plane himself. Yeah. Um, like that guy, that, uh, like say what you will about him, but God nah, damn, the, dude. The dude's crazy. <laughs> Tom Cruise is crazy, but he's got that yeah. Scientology strength keeping him going. Exactly. <laughs> um, but we don't want those people dead either. So, you know, keep our favorite murderous stunt actors that play the roles behind the masks alive and well. Well, it's uh, interesting that, like, here. all this is coming to light right now because, uh, um, uh, God, what is it? So Shudder did that that six-part series about cursed mm -hmm. films. And so one of the things that they talked about was John Landis. And yeah. his and – his, so John Landis did the Twilight Zone uh, movie back in the 80s, and there was a stunt in that that was – he was warned about multiple times mm -hmm. that the stunt coordinator told – the people reading up the explosives that they needed to not do them the way they were, but they went ahead with the shot. John Landis used uh, two child actors. I think it was that were not even supposed to be there. It was illegal for them to be working that night because they had already worked their uh, um, allocated amount of hours. So they shouldn't have been there. So they were being paid under the table and then the main actor. So he killed three people in yep. one scene uh, when I, I an actual live helicopter got damaged by the explosives that they had rigged up around the side of the set that they had built to look like a Vietnam, like, like the Vietnam War. This helicopter, literally, like the propellers came and lopped everybody in half. Yeah. Uh, and they showed the fucking footage in the Shutter documentary. And so John Landis, you know, went to court for this over like three years and was found not guilty. Like he, it wasn't his fault, blah, blah, blah. A stunt coordinator. Uh, who they interviewed multiple times who, who had warned them about all this. Like, dude, he seems like he's still, like, haunted by this to this day. I believe it. Uh, I'm sure. And so it's just, you know, like, I don't know, man. Like, well, these movies are meant to be fictional, right? Not not actually reality. So whenever somebody gets hurt in all this bullshit, like, somebody does need to be held accountable for this. Just, and, like, just getting even cut if... in half by helicopter blades is an absolute horror movie kill. Oh, yeah. It is. 100%. Like, it's one of those things where it's just like somebody needs to be held accountable, even if it was an accident, right? Even if somebody found, even if there were um, systems in place and checks and balances that could have prevented the deaths or something like that. Like these, somebody needs to be held accountable solely for the fact that it makes people more wary about what they're going to be doing going forward, right? Like, especially in today's day, like in age, like how much 
how many explosives do we honestly need, need rig, rigged up? Like, well, the, the wild thing also we can CGI is, all that shit these days. Yeah. As as these budgets get bigger and bigger on these movies, and even the smaller budget films, um, usually one of the first things that they start to skimp out on is the stunt costs. Yeah. As far as making sure that stunt coordinators are available and on set, um, but also in part of that is there's like an increasing shortage of competent stunt actors and stunt coordinators available. Mm -hmm. um, so things like this aren't that uncommon because you've got a lot of people that aren't, I mean, they're professionals, but they don't have like the same amount of experience as some of their peers doing these crazy stunts and, or overseeing these crazy stunts. And it can often lead to some rather unfortunate circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, uh, I think it's interesting that it's just kind of, you know, kind of once again we're getting another example of what happens when there's there's uh, a lack of of attention paid to during all these things. It's really scary and it's really sad, especially considering how much these stunt actors are are compensated in the first place. I feel like this is going to become my new like podcast rallying call. That's like the equivalent of don't forget to tip your bartenders. <laughs> Pay your stunt people. Yeah. Right? Don't forget to treat your stunt people like human beings. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. That's a, it's just, it's funny that we talked about, you know, death proof and now all of a sudden the story is just kind of coming to light. Yeah. 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 It's funny the way the world works. Sam. Yeah. Thrilling intro. Thank you. Thank you for uh, doing Thank the research you. on that. Uh, Thank you. You guys read Thank it? <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think we need to introduce listeners to that one. <laughs> I do not think we need to sit here and thank each other for 20 minutes. Thank you. <laughs> you guys ready to talk about some horror headlines? Sure am. For sure. Let's do it. All right, horror headline time. Kicking things off, we've got uh, season two of CBS All Access's Twilight Zone. Uh, we had some 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 details, including final casting. So CBS All Access today announced additional casting for the second season of the Twilight Zone, including uh, Kylie Burnberry, uh, Sky Fiera. Sorry, yeah, no, Ferraria. Fer Ferrara. Ferraria. 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 Ferrara. Topher Grace, David Coles, uh, Greta Lee, Tom uh, Lennon, Natalie Martinez, Brandon McLaurin, uh, Gretchen Mole, a whole bunch of others as well, um, including Damon Wayans. I feel like he needs to get mentioned because, mm -hmm. you know, it's Damon Wayans. Uh, the 10-episode season is getting ready to premiere this summer, which is right around the corner. Uh, hopefully. I don't know. It sure doesn't feel like it right now because it's like 30 degrees outside in may my poor plants my poor plants my poor plants uh but it's set to premiere this summer with episodes directed by the filmmakers behind spring a girl who walks home alone at night and gretel und hansel alex uh, is shaking her head just in <laughs> general disdain right now because of a girl walks home alone <laughs> yes <laughs> that and topher grace <laughs> uh executive producers jordan peele and simon uh krenberg's modern reimagining of the classic brings the original series legacy of socially conscious storytelling to new audiences, exploring the human condition and holding a lens to the culture of our times. Could be fun. 
Hmm. I don't know. I still haven't watched the first. So I have CBS All Access. I still have not watched the entire. Yeah, the I'm in the same season. boat. I have it and haven't watched it yet. I do. I don't have it. I haven't watched it. I do plan on it. I uh, I got lost in Hunters, which is a fucking incredible show, um, and should be watched by everybody. I I really enjoyed the hell out of that. Um, so yeah. I'll check it out. I'll probably check it out right before this gets like once they announce a release date for mm. this, I'll probably just marathon the rest of the the first season because I've seen yeah. the first two episodes. I just haven't seen anything beyond that. Yeah. Um, but I enjoyed the first two episodes, so take that as you will. It kind of got mixed reviews the first season. Did it? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, people were kind of on the fence about it. I enjoyed it. I think a lot of people um, really rally against. There seems to be a saying that I see more and more regularly on forums mm-hmm. and stuff. It's like uh, along the lines of like "get woke, go broke." Okay. Uh, <laughs> and so like it's it's a rallying cry against people that I guess are cramming too many SJW ideals into one thing. I don't know how okay. I feel about that, but it is what it is. It uh, is what it is. Some people are very against. For for some for some reason, as we'll discuss later here in another movie we're getting ready to talk about, some people are very upset with the fact that Nazis are 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 an enemy again that are appearing in films because <laughs> that uh, never mind that just I'm not gonna get on that soapbox right now. <laughs> Netflix teases season four of Stranger Things, uh, and that it'll be the scariest one yet. Uh, that's not really saying okay. a lot, is it? Because Stranger no. Things hasn't no. really been a horror series, even though it does appeal to genre fans. According to uh, Joe Keery, who plays Steve Harrington, season four will be the most intense one yet, telling Total Film, oh man, it's pretty amazing. The Duffer brothers have really done it again. I think this year, and I know I say this every single year, but this is definitely going to be a lot scarier than prior years. Um, And the new Hmm. season, Hopper is uh, imprisoned in Russia. Because he's not dead. Because of course he can't actually be dead. Of course right? he can't die. No. <laughs> so I mean, I always find it really interesting when people say it's going to be the scariest season yet. Yeah, I'm just, just hopeful that they uh, they kind of pick up where they left off. Because like the last two episodes went off the rails really fucking fast. And like, uh, uh, what was what was the the name of the the super mullet that dies at the end of that one? Oh God, I honestly I can't remember. I'd like I just remember like his death at the end being like holy shit. <laughs> and I want more of that. <laughs> yeah. Uh so meanwhile back in the states horror is beginning to surface something long buried something that connects everything. Production on the fourth season of Stranger Things was halted due to the ongoing pandemic. And at this time we have no idea when the hell it'll resume or when it'll premiere. Or if it will be scary. <laughs> That's I thought, also you know, true. I thought there were elements of the first season that were kind of scary. Yeah, it was the spookiest one, like I think. A, I think that was probably the scariest season. Like when What's-Her-Face is by the pool and she gets pulled into the... Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, like that was a pretty intense moment. Like the, I think the first season was pretty spoopy. The second season was just... Eh. The third season was yeah. okay again. But the third season felt more like, like E.T. homage. Yeah. The yeah. third season went got better, in my view, as it went along. Because I've, I think it's, like, by the time they finally brought, like, the gang back together. I think my issue with the third season was it was just, like, one episode for this group and one episode yeah. for this group. Yeah. Like, 90% of the movie, they, or the show, rather, they weren't all together. Yeah. The gang didn't get back together until, like, second to last or third to last episode. That's true. That's true. 
Uh, next up, Stephen King's revival is being turned into a film. Uh, Mike Flanagan refuses to stop his love affair with Stephen King material. <laughs> After directing Gerald's Game and Dr. Sleep, The Hollywood Reporter is reporting today that Mike Flanagan is now involved in a feature film adaptation of Stephen King's revival. Flanagan will write and produce for Warner Brothers with an option to direct. Uh, Trevor Macy from Dr. Sleep will also be producing. The novel is focused on the relationship between a heroin-addicted musician and a dubious faith healer with a hidden agenda. The minister is obsessed with trying to find a new way to communicate with his departed wife and child, but ends up connecting to a Lovecraftian horror. Ding. <laughs> I, was, I was waiting for that <laughs> ding. Uh, so this book was written back in 2014, which is pretty much forever in terms of Stephen King being adapted for the big screen time. Uh, though it has previously been tapped for a uh, screen adaptation back in 2016 with jason boone producing in my opinion this is one of the worst recent stephen king novels in recent memory but apparently according to the comments all over these articles everybody seemed to disagree with that sentiment i could not finish this book oh wow i got halfway through it and decided that it wasn't worth it <laughs> dang and i finished under the dome <laughs> I was gonna say it takes quite a lot for me to put down a book and not finish it. Maybe yeah. Mike Flanagan's like next against... adaptation after this. <laughs> so I don't know if Flanagan wasn't attached to this, I really wouldn't have any interest in this. And to be honest, even with his involvement, I still don't have a whole lot of interest. Maybe I'm wrong, and the book is stellar in the second half. But at this point, I'm if I'm not hooked from the start for something, like especially now that Atticus mm -hmm. is here, like if something doesn't immediately grab my attention and I'm not like entertained by it the entire way, I'm probably not going to finish it. It's Dude, I find you should it start reading Stephen King books backwards. Well, I, I just I find it happening more and more, and like. <laughs> In like everything that I like, if it's a TV show, you've got an an episode, maybe two, to get me into it. If it's a mm -hmm. video game, I'm giving you maybe five hours, and then I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Like, like I for like with the new Final Fantasy, dude. Like, I'm not sure I'm gonna finish that game. I was really looking forward to that. I told everybody that that was like my most anticipated game this year. I'm probably not gonna finish it. <laughs> so does mike flanagan just get first dibs on all things stephen king now i guess Probably. so man i guess so it's kind of weird right well he's one of those people that just seems to be able to kind of like write and do and direct whatever the fuck he wants right now so here's yeah. a fun conspiracy theory have we ever seen mike flanagan and stephen king in the same place at the same time no and Mike Flanagan would be a pen name that Stephen King would pick. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Are we just working our way up to like Stephen King's biggest twist ever? Where he yes. reveals oh that he is Mike Flanagan and directing and, his own movies. And like some Scooby-Doo <laughs> antics where he just tear, tears off the mask. And just... yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, they don't, I feel like they don't look anything alike. <laughs> yeah, they don't. They don't at all. Uh, but, you know, well, I'll keep paying attention to it just because of Flanagan's involvement. But mm -hmm. I don't have high hopes for this. Um, next up, Clarice got picked up by CBS. Uh, CBS has recently ordered a pilot episode for the potential Silence of the Lamps sequel titled Clarice. And The Hollywood Reporter has stated that the project has now been given a series pickup for the 20 to 20, 2020 to 2021 broadcast season. Rebecca Breeds from Pretty Little Liars will star as Clarice Starling. The cast also includes Cal Penn from Harold and Kumar Go to White Castle, Nick Sando as, uh, from, from Orange is the New Black, and Michael Cuddits from The Walking Dead. Clarice hmm. is set in 1993 after the events of Silence of the Lambs. The series is a deep dive into the untold personality of Clarice Starling. Um, she returns to the field to pursue serial murderers and sexual predators while navigating the high-stakes political world of Washington, D.C., Brilliant and vulnerable, Clarice graduated magna from UVA 
with double major in psych and criminology. Her bravery is an inner light that draws monsters and madmen to her. It's going to be a look at her complex psychological makeup that comes from a uh, psych from a challenging childhood and her drive. Uh, she needs to escape the burden of family secrets that have haunted her throughout her life. The project is written by Alex Kurtzman and Jenny Lummett. Um, considering how damn good Hannibal was, I'm pretty mm-hmm. intrigued by this. I know Hannibal had a different team involved and was produced by NBC, but I think Thomas Harris, author of Silence of the Lambs, Hannibal, Red Dragon, all that stuff, kind of created a great foundation for these characters to provide lots of material going forward. So I'm, I'm pretty stoked to check this out. I think this will be fun. I think it'll be good. Yeah. Um, is there a way also, to come up with Clarice? A... It's Clarice. Clarice. <laughs> Is there a way to come up with a, a good nickname though? Like obviously we had Fanables, but what do we have for Clarice? So I think that's what's gonna make or break this show. Right. It's true. You have to have a good hashtag to get all the fanables over because they are ravenous. That's true. They latched onto another tweet of ours and retweeted it a bunch of times and and That's how we're going to get famous, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Through the Fanables. Thanks, Fanables. We really appreciate you guys. Love everything you stand for. Uh, now for something completely different. This one, just fucking what? <laughs> <laughs> King of Queens actor and comedian Kevin James. Uh, uh, he's playing a villain for the very first time. He's uh, <sighs> starring in this movie called Becky, which has landed an R rating, and it's unleashed its first trailer today. He's not just any villain, though. He's uh, joining Patrick Stewart in a short list of unexpected actors to portray white supremacist overlords. Uh, so he's specifically a neo-Nazi with a giant fucking swastika on the back of his giant fucking head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he does have a giant head. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like, they, they just took one look at him. They were like, look at all of that real estate. We could put an entire Nazi flag on the back of this fucking guy's head. Yeah. Right. I uh, I will preface this by saying that I like Kevin Smith. I liked King of Queens. Kevin James. Or, Kevin yes, James. sorry, Kevin James. Uh, I liked King of Queens. I like... I won't say Daddy every daycare. single... I won't say every single movie. I don't think that I've seen Daddy Daycare. I don't actually that wasn't Kevin that. James. What's the one with he with Adam Sandler where they're like, um, there's, Daddy, uh, there's two of them. He, he pees in the pool. Yeah, there, oh, there's, there's uh, two of the movies. Are uh, we there yet? No, that was no. Grown Ups. <laughs> the Grown Ups. Okay, yes. it's like the dumbest movie, but every yeah, time I like on, I always I'm, watch it. <laughs> I haven't seen it, uh, the second one, but I saw the first one, and yeah, it's stupid, but I mean, I think I think it's still pretty funny. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's um, literally just a movie about a bunch of friends in real life who decided yeah. to make a movie and just like make fun of each other for an hour and a half. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, Paul Blart. Let's not forget about Paul Blart. Oh my god! <laughs> I fucking no. love I think Paul Blart. We're digging a little too deep. I now. fucking love Paul Blart, dude. Don't even hate. Uh, <laughs> um, look, it's uh, it is what it is. You either like him or you don't like him. But this is this is interesting. I do appreciate it when comedians step out of their uh, their their I don't know comfort mm-hmm. zones and and go into new territory. It's the same response I had with Chris Rock doing a Saw movie. Whatever. Fuck it. Let's happen. Let it happen. Yeah. Bring it on. You know. Um, yeah, but Chris Rock once upon a time was also Pookie. That's true. Can we also talk about how Chris Rock was also in Grown Ups? <laughs> I forgot about it. Ties it all together. I bet so Kevin James is like, "Yo, I see, I see your Saw franchise, and I raise you one giant neo-Nazi." Yeah, yeah. Uh, Quiver Distribution and Redbox Entertainment have acquired North American rights to this film, setting a digital and on-demand release for June fifth. Day before my birthday. I like it. Yeah. Joel McHale and Annabelle Creations, Lulu Wilson, uh, also star. 
There's a trailer for it via EW. It's actually pretty good. I wasn't disappointed I, by it. Yeah, I thought I'm it was actually fun. kind yeah. of excited about this movie. Yeah. It did not look terrible. Uh, I thought it was going to look terrible. Yeah, so did I. And then, and then it turned out to be pretty hopes. good. Uh, Becky has been rated R for strong bloody violence, grisly images, and language. The film centers, centers on a rebellious 14-year-old named Becky uh, as she's brought to a weekend getaway at a lake house with her father in an effort to reconnect with after their mother's death. Um, the trip takes a turn for the worse when a group of convicts on the run led by the merciless Dominic played by James suddenly decide to invade the lake house. Becky is not daddy's little girl anymore and decides to take matters into her own hands. I think that is the worst part of the marketing there. Yeah. Ugh, daddy's little girl. <laughs> just say, just say, just say fucking B- Becky lashes out, dude. Like Becky turns into yeah. a badass. Like, what's the problem? So it's kind of like Home Alone, except with Nazis. Um, yeah, kind of. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sort of. They're invading of a house. Yeah, I mean, I'm into it. You yeah, she put does it, set when you up put it that way. It sells me. It's better than the daddy's little girl sell. Oh, I hate that. <laughs> Uh, next up, we have some some vidya, um, couple of quick things. So uh, Xbox had a recent Series X showcase, which featured a new trailer for uh, Vampire the Masquerade: Bloodlines Two. I am fucking so stoked for this game. Um, I've said it before; I really loved the first one, in spite of all its problems. It was quirky and fun, and kept me intrigued throughout the entire thing. So, really looking forward to this one. And Donka Shane, baby, Bloodlines. Two DDR edition has a dance centric trailer that features uh, gruesome. I don't know. Families hanging from tr- from Christmas trees, brutalized they're, street they're gangs. Puppets. Yeah, uh, vampire seduction and what I think is the lineage of the vamp of. I think this is going to be the antagonist. Uh, his rise from young buck to high rise mastermind. Um, I'm not exactly sure. I I think. I think it's all supposed to be the same guy from from when he gets turned into a vampire all the way to him turning into like a because like the whole premise with bloodlines is that uh, it follows the bloodlines of vampires and how like being a vampire over a long period of time slowly makes people go insane because they can't tolerate being immortal like you just kind of lose your touch with humanity. Um, And I think that's exactly what this is trying to explore with this trailer. So we'll see. I'm fucking stoked regardless. There's no release date yet, but the game is officially announced for the Series X, PC, Xbox One, and PS4. No word on PS5, but I just assume that it's on the way. Um, Scorn was another one that caught me off guard during this whole thing. Uh, The game is still live, apparently. Scorn is literally a game I've had on my Steam wishlist since we first saw the gameplay trailers back in 2014. Um... It's apparently still in the works. Last I saw, Ebb Software had to postpone their 2018 release date because they couldn't secure funding for the for the creation of the rest of the game. That being said, it looks like everything's back on track. The game got another trailer during the Series X showcase. There's still no words on the upcoming release date. There's no word if the game has been receiving graphical or gameplay updates since the biggest criticism of its alpha was that the gameplay felt very dated. But the geiger game is still a product of nightmares. In Scorn, players control a skinless humanoid lost in a nightmarish world with interconnected regions in a non-linear fashion. Every location contains its own theme, uh, puzzles and characters, with weapons, mechanics, and more that are all very biomechanical, connecting the player-controlled character's tissue... Uh, connecting to the player-controlled character's tissue and sinew to destroy your enemies uh, and progress through the story. It looks interesting. 
I think anybody who's a fan of Geiger's artwork in particular should definitely check this out. Um, so it's Cyberpunk 2077 just in H.R. Geiger's world. Mm, no. <laughs> no. No. It's uh no, it's very wrong. I mean, yeah, you can modify yourself, but it doesn't feel like any sort of like cyberpunk thing. Um mm. It's very everything's very flesh and blood. Like every even the keys that you use to open doors are all made out of flesh and blood. Like it's all um I don't know how else to explain it except look at a whole bunch of Geiger paintings and try to make an adventure game out of it. And then you get this. Dicks. <laughs> dicks, yes, there are dicks, a few dicks. Yeah. <laughs> Just dicks. There you go, dicks. That's all you needed to say. Next up, uh, we got some corona cancellations. Well, more kind of updates on previous corona cancellations. John Wick, which isn't exactly a horror movie, but fuck it, I love the series, so we're talking about it. It's uh <laughs> previous release date was May 21st, 2021. The new release date will be a year later. May 27th, 2022. Fuck, I don't know that I can wait that long. For that's a long time. That's a long delay on a John Wick film. Fuck, that's a while. All right, next Is up. Is it going to make room for The Matrix? Uh, I, <laughs> no, he has to finish John Wick first before The Matrix oh, right. can be finished filming. Uh Oh, no, I'm sorry. It's the other way around. Matrix has to be finished first. So, yeah, I guess it does make room for The Matrix. Um, next up, Spiral Book of Saw. We were supposed to be watching it this week. Yeah. <laughs> we were supposed to be chilling, watching Book of Saw in the movie theaters at the end of this week, and it's not happening. Oh. It's uh, next year now, a whole fucking year, May 21st, 2021. This movie is fucking done. It's just going to sit in a can for a year. I don't understand that. Just I, release it to VOD. God damn right? it. Uh, that's what I, yes. <laughs> just do God that. damn it. What's I don't understand. Why do I need AMC to see this movie lashed in a out. I guarantee you it has to do with AMC's lash out. I bet you oh, more studios yeah. were talking about this, and then AMC was like, and they, <laughs> Do it, and we'll never play your movies ever exactly, again. Why do I no. need to see this movie in a theater? Just fucking give it to me. I don't. The movie's fucking uh, done. This is perfect for VOD. This is yeah. perfect for it. This for is the it. kind of movie that should just go straight to VOD anyway. Yeah. They can't have honestly expected that many people to turn up at the movie theater for this movie. Yeah, we're all going to turn up at the Halloween, movie theater. Like, come on. <laughs> and then finally, uh, A24's Green Knight previous release date was uh may 24th two weeks from now 2020 new release date is totally unknown so hooray tbd <laughs> hooray <laughs> uh sam yep we got stuff yeah we got two new movies this week in our age of cancellations all right let's get into it <laughs> All right, what do we have? All right, so uh, first up, we got this movie called Z, uh, just the letter Z. Yeah, uh, it's on Shutter, right? Yeah, yeah. Creative naming. Uh, They've been advertising the hell Shutter. out of this film. Um, the the story goes when Beth and Kevin's eight year old son Joshua develops an imaginary friend named Z. They think it's cute, uh, but they soon realize just how wrong they are. Z becomes a terrible influence on Josh, and the innocent son turns into someone they barely recognize. And it's only when Beth starts uncovering her own past that she learns that Josh's new friend Z may not be so imaginary after all. Dun, dun, dun. Thanks for that, and, mom. And you said this was on Shudder? Yeah. Uh, yes. Awesome. I think it's already, yeah, it's already on there. It's already on there. Yeah, yeah. it's already on. Um, and then the other movie we've got this week is Awoken, uh, released on the 8th on VOD from Vertical Entertainment. Get Awoken, uh, go broken. <laughs> <laughs> 
callbacks. I like it. Uh, Carla, a young medical student, is trying to cure her brother Blake from a terminal sleep illness called fatal familial insomnia, where you're unable to sleep until you die. Uh, on her quest to treat him, though, a more sinister reason for his condition is revealed. Uh, so this is a real, very rare disease that has the following stages. Uh, stage one, you have uh, increasing insomnia that results in panic attacks, paranoia, and phobias, which lasts for about four months. Then becoming stage two, hallucinations and panic attacks that become noticeable, continuing for about five months. Followed by stage three, which is a complete inability to sleep, uh, followed by rapid weight loss, which lasts for about three months. And part of the reason for this... Uh, Jesus, is, this sounds awful. Uh, one of the things that it does, one of the things that it does, is it fucks with your uh, nervous system. I think it's the autonomic nervous system, um, where things like breathing and swallowing, stuff that you don't think about, that your body just does naturally, doesn't happen anymore. So you actively have to like, oh, I need to breathe. Um, so that's partly why you don't sleep anymore. And then the last stage is dementia, or a version of dementia where the person becomes unresponsive or mute over the course of six months um, after which they die. Uh, there are no known cures for this, and it results in death anywhere from 12 to 18 months of onset. Um, but, you know, medical horror movies, because that's what oh, we need these days. Across uh, your research for this, did you happen to see how like common this is? It's not very common. Okay. I think the first case was in 1760-something. Okay. Uh, did, but it's, did it's they happen to say weird. how old people were when they developed this? Like, is it for so I read a story, young adults? Or? I read a story a couple of years ago about this. Um, at least I think it was this. It might have been like some offshoot. Because there are two forms of this. There's one form that's genetic, and then there's one form that's not. Um, okay. But I remember reading a story. There's this family that's been like the primary like group of subjects used to study this because like 80% of the people in this family get this. Uh -huh. Ugh. Um, Jesus, it's and, terrible. Yeah, just it's, let your fucking genetic fucking line wild. die. Right? <laughs> like, Stop right? having children. Right? Yeah. You're just, sleep you're, and then they oh, die. it's terrible. Oh. Yeah. Uh, but fun times, you know, medical horror movies in our, our time of Corona. Um, mm. So let's let's ditch this heaviness for something really heavy and start talking about some fucking metal. Let's... Yeah. And a little bit of Dungeons and Dragons. Okay, <laughs> so bit. apparently it affects about one in every one million people per year. Oh, okay. So it's very rare. Yeah. Thank God, because I already have anxiety about it. <laughs> <laughs> the hypochondriac in me is like, I have that. <laughs> BRB, going to die soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're, you're saying that uh, you get what I get when I listen to true crime broadcasts about medical stuff. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. That's me. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. All right. Let's discuss this, this week's main event. Deathgasm. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to tonight's main event. This week's main event, Deathgasm. It came out in 2015. Sam, we missed yours last week. Do you have a special synopsis for it this week? I sure do. A small local high school band blows the doors off their garage and becomes the number one must-see show in town. And nothing can stop their powerful riffs. Not Jesus, not the followers of his that are begging for a pegging. <laughs> not lowercase letters and not even the infighting in a band that happens. Because metal is a brotherhood that will make us all warrior kings and queens. I'm also super into Trivium now. 
Uh, <laughs> and per Milo Cawthorn, who plays Brody, it's like Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, except they listen to Slayer and it's on meth. Here, here. Apt. Apt. Directed and written by Jason Lee Howden. The film stars uh, Milo Cawthorn, who plays Brody, James Joshua Blake as Zach, spelled Z-A-K-K, for all those Zach Wild fans Zach out there. Zach Wild! Zach Wild! Uh, Kimberly Crossman as Medina, Sam Berkeley as Dion, Daniel Cresswell as Giles, uh, Delaney Tabron as Shayna, uh, Stephen Uri as Ricky Daggers, Colin Moy as Uncle Albert, Jody Rimmer what a last name, Rimmer. <laughs> Jody, I know, right? I feel like that's unfortunate. Jody Rimmer as Aunt Mary. and She's Nick, in the wrong industry. Yeah, right. Mm. And Nick Hoskins-Smith as David. Oh, baby. Here we go with another film about demons, heavy metal, and dildos. I mean, what? <laughs> okay, that last part isn't such commonplace. But the other two, I'm noticing a theme amongst our heavy metal horror choices here. Deathgasm is a 2015 horror comedy about a loser metal kid that starts a band, summons demons with badass music, saves his own town, or saves his town from said demons with badass music played backwards, and along the way, finds friendship, learns to love, and gets the town hottie. Basically a metalhead's fantasy combined with enough dick jizz and fart jokes to make even Rob Delaney cry in appreciation. At this point, I think it's fair to acknowledge there are only two types of films that come out in New Zealand, either grand sweeping $300 million epics and splatter comedy horror flicks. <laughs> so sure. It really, it really is. The funny thing is that New Zealand, uh, the film community there is so tight that the same cast and crews are working in both. <laughs> Everybody knows that Peter Jackson wrote, directed and produced, uh, only finance also some truly amazing over the top horror comedies during his early career. One of which we have covered bad taste, Everybody also knows that he went on to do some astounding filmmaking with Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit series, both being tackled uh, on a grand scale. Um, so we've seen what he can do with a small budget and a large budget. Uh, enter Jason Lee Howden, writer and director of this film, and somebody who walks the line between the worlds of large and small budgets. Known primarily for his visual effects in some of Hollywood's largest big-budget films to come out in recent years, like War for the Planet of the Apes, The Hobbit Trilogy, Wolverine, The Avengers, Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter, and more. He has only two full-length director's credits to his name, Deathgasm and Guns Akimbo. One of his efforts is a little more revered than the other, but they're both along similar lines, offering up insane and bloody good fun. Considering Howden's ties to the New Zealand film scene, a number of extras and actors in various bit parts from Lord of the Rings and Hobbit trilogies make their appearances in this film. And most noticeably, Stephen Urie, who plays Ricky Daggers in this film, but is also Gorbag and Grishnak from the Lord of the Rings films. Uh, Ah, uh, yes, Grishnak. Yes. <laughs> My favorite character. I guess when it comes to filmmaking on a tiny little island, you really have to keep it all in the family. So now that we've looked briefly at the incestuous nature of New Zealand film industry, let's look at exactly why so many schlock films have come out of New Zealand. The New Zealand Film Commission has a contest called Make My Movie. The contest, created by Ant Thompson, producer of some of the weirdest films you'll ever see, including The Greasy Strangler, Turbo Kid, and The ABCs of Death, was created... I enjoy Turbo Kid and The ABCs of Death. Have you ever seen Greasy Strangler? I have not seen that. Uh, nope. It's greasy. It's greasy. <laughs> it's greasy. Um, greasy. Yeah, yeah. Greasy. Uh, it was created as a way for him to find more indie talent that he loved to harbor. The entry requirements were simple. 
Aspiring filmmakers could submit a synopsis, a poster, and a demo reel to prove that they could, in fact, direct a film. And the commission chose a winner, providing them with one hundred dollars to $200,000 to support the film's creation. They have tight time constraints and are expected to finish the film in a span of less than a year, which would then premiere uh, at the New Zealand Film Festival and be allowed to be purchased for distribution. In 2013, the contest was sponsored by MPI slash Dark Sky Films, the genre aficionados behind some of the most memorable films of all time, including Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer, Tetsuo, The Iron Man, Human Centipede 2, Hatchet, and Dead Snow. As a result, their involvement limited the contest to being horror-centric, um, and the submissions were... <laughs> they were pretty bizarre. Some of them were... Some are, please, please pardon my dog barking. <laughs> Give me a second to figure out what's going on. So Jason Lee Howden, coupled with a design team, left at the chance to make a film. They submitted their pitch, a poster, and a brief reel of test footage that included blood, guts, and laughs. Uh, their pitch was selected as the winner, and the team was given $200,000 to go forth and create their vision. Dark Sky loved the premise and gave them an additional funding to uh, secure a production team, allowing the entirety of the $200,000 contest earnings to be spent on the film itself. According to the film synopsis as submitted to the uh, New Zealand Film Commission, it's part Evil Dead, part Trick or Treat, the 80s horror film, not the 2007 anthology film. Uh, this is Spinal, parts, this is Spinal Tap, and uh, the film set out to be a throwback to the low-budget splatter films of the 80s, which achieved entertaining and hilarious special effects on micro-budgets. It will combine socially awkward humor with gut-wrenching, lo-fi practical gore effects while revitalizing the long-stagnant heavy metal horror genre the brutal soundtrack, including some amazing metal and uh, hard rock tracks. We will ensure that Deathgasm has an original soundtrack that will be the bane of noise control offices, officers all around the world. We'll touch more on the film's ambitious soundtrack in a bit. But for now, that's enough of an introduction. Let's jump right into the film. Long after the death of his father, Brody's mother, and is institutionalized at a mental hospital for after going on a uh, drug-fueled blowjob bender, <laughs> ending up between the legs of a mall Santa. As a result, <laughs> the teenager is thus forced to move into uh, his uncle's place in Grey Point, New Zealand, somewhere he describes as bumfuck nowhere. Uh, Brody is an insecure metalhead, an issue that directly conflicts with Uncle Albert's fundamentalist Christian beliefs. He's uh, trying to find his place in the world, right? Yeah, just listening to heavy metal and gets thrown into this 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 shithole middle of nowhere town with an uncle that doesn't give a fuck about him and a cousin that hates his guts. Oh, his cousin is the worst. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, his fellow high school students regard him as an outcast, which leads to bullying from other boys, including his jock douche cousin, cousin David. Brody's only other friends are two geeks named Dian and uh, was it Giles, right? Or Giles? Giles, yeah. Giles, yeah. Uh, who both spend most of their time playing role-playing games, having dice shoved up their noses and being sprayed with super soakers full of piss. Their noses amongst other orifices. Yeah, right. Yeah, Much don't they allude to the dice getting shoved up his ass at one point? I think so. Some... I think they said that his nose was the least embarrassing orifice that <laughs> die has ever been shoved. Right, right. <laughs> God. Brody uh, soon becomes acquainted with another heavy metal fan, Zach, at a local record store called uh, Alien Records. 
a place that Brody describes as the town's only highlight. It's owned by Byron, a surly shop owner with a massive knowledge about vinyl, and his psychic wife, Abigail, who offers customers readings in the corner of a shop. Uh, that feels like such like an apt description of most record store owners. Definitely. It's just like a surly guy and they're like psychic wife or new age wife or whatever. Yeah. Just like reading in the corner. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Zach and Brody bond over their love of hack, a band called hacks and sword, which is immediately leads them to becoming blood brothers, making napalm and using said napalm to write hail Satan complete with misspelling in some unsuspecting <laughs> New Hail Zealanders, Satin. Yeah. Hail Satin. In some unsuspecting New Zealanders backyard. Zach. Uh, I, I thought it was like the school campus. I thought they did it on like the school lawn or something. No, nah, it was definitely somebody's backyard. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think I saw a sheep. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's New Zealand. There's a very real possibility that there are sheep at the school. That's true. You're right. That's true. That's true. I have never been to a New Zealand high school. Perhaps there are sheep. Yes, please. Uh, any New Zealand listeners that we may or may not have, please understand that we are just judging you by by stereotypes that the americans no, have man, adopted this is the world we live in now with coronavirus and like it's, everybody it's being at home sheep are taking over the world yeah new zealand is like killing it yeah that's true it's not just new zealand everywhere there's sheep everywhere now that's true oh you're talking about the sheep yes they have come back <laughs> the sheep are taking over the, the world the animals yeah. are slowly coming back Venice. The Earth is rebuilding herself. Venice has its clear canals. New Zealand. We are the has virus. Its sheep. <laughs> uh, Zach. Bah. Zach Brody, Dean, and uh, Giles form a metal band called Deathgasm. So this scene, this scene right here, <laughs> this scene where Zach and 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 Brody kind of meet up is a great display of metal elitism just like i'm going to shit on mm. sam for his love of tri trivium oh i don't like suck. trivium they suck there's sam. just like 30 trivium posters yes, in this movie so i feel true. like i just got like joshed into liking trivium, trivium i don't like trivium a lot at all. to get to get fucking recognition in this film apparently uh oh. Zach is deterred and immediately on edge when Brody accidentally pulls out a poison record from a vinyl stack <laughs> while they're comparing album covers. It's it's really just tiny touches like this that, that happen throughout the film that make it really hilarious to metalheads. Um, mm. Furthermore, the scene where they decide the band name is actually something that we went through recently with Holden's. <laughs> yeah. Well, for a long time, like, we didn't even have a name. Like, we didn't even talk about it. Like, we talked about it once, and then we're like, yeah, we'll come back to that, like, eight months later. It's because, like, uh, Mike <laughs> laid out some really bad name, and I was like, no. And I didn't, wanna, I didn't have the heart to be like, fuck you, shut up. <laughs> Not that early in our relationship. I didn't want to lose another drummer at that point. <laughs> now I don't give a shit. Uh, now you don't care. <laughs> yeah, and then we were, what, judge for a while, and I was just, yeah. no, because I had introduced Holden at first. And you guys were both like, no, I don't like Holden. Well, because the full because kind of brought that back. <laughs> well, no, because kind of in honor to New Zealand and Australia, when you first said Holden, the first thing that crossed my mind was the car brand. Oh, yeah. Recently like defunct. Recently defunct. R.I.P. Holden. Well, you know. Anyways, I would have gone with maggot sperm over deathgasm, but hey, they can't all be winners. Uh, you know, I also really liked maggot sperm. That was my favorite. <laughs> that, was I thought that was great. Um, also, a uh, special note: uh, I think they the the spelling that they wrote on the front of the drum head, I think, mm -hmm. is D E T H gasm. I think they cut yeah. out the A for that. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. And also uppercase only because lowercase is for pussies. Yeah. Yep. I also did like. <laughs> <laughs> 
What about like 16 S's? 16 S's, just <laughs> I'd listen to that. I'm sure you would. <laughs> I'm sure you would. Uh, later, Zach tells Brody about the metal musician Ricky Daggers, who is allegedly living nearby. Zach uh, convinces Brody to accompany him in an abandoned house where he suspects Daggers to be hiding, during which they have a conversation of whether or not he kills rabbits live on stage with a claw hammer or uh, what was the other one? An a, a, hacksaw, a hacksaw or something. Or so, yeah, something along Some those lines. Some other kind of sharp, <laughs> stabby item. <laughs> uh, so after Brady and they find Daggers sleeping inside holding a record album. When Brody and Zach try to steal the album, Daggers wakes up and attacks. When he hears a noise outside his house, he hands them the record and tells them to run away. Moments after Zach and Brody have left, a well-dressed man named Vaden enters the house and kills Daggers. He appears to be part of a cult which is looking for something called the Black Hymn, which is medieval sheet music with the power to summon demons. Since Vaden failed to obtain the sheet music, the cult's leader, Aeon, later has him beheaded. So this scene right here is fucking hilarious, right? It's I, I, my I, favorite moment in the whole movie. I legitimately crack up every fucking time I watch this movie at this point. <laughs> Uh, so Vaden, after being beheaded by the other cult members, has to be re-beheaded <laughs> at Aeon's request because they got blood all over his Satori rug. I have no clue what a fucking Satori rug is, but after a... I think it's like akin to like a, a like a, what are those really expensive carpets? It's a type of Persian rug, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, right, have, that's what I, yeah. After a quick Google search, I learned that they're expensive as fuck because the starting price for a small one, I think it was like a four by four, was $1,500. Yeah. Hootie who? Yeah. <laughs> for something that you put your fucking dirty feet on? Yeah. I, but they, uh, they, they put the tarp down and hold his head back up against his body and mock cutting it off again. Yes. Yeah. And, the guy's, and like, the guy's like, huh? That'll do. I, I guess and you see he's just getting a blowjob the entire time <laughs> this is going on. I was not expecting that, I will say. <laughs> when she popped her head up from the desk, I was like, huh. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I probably cool, cool. I probably rewatched that one scene like a half a dozen times. <laughs> oh god, it's so fucking funny. Uh, so we've got our first real intro to gore here, and it's all practical. So the director of this film, as I've mentioned before, is primarily known for his visual effects, specifically rotoscoping. Shout out to Joe Bob for this tidbit. But uh, the process, the rotoscoping, is the process of tracing films uh, or tracing frames of a film to add or take away elements. It's an integral piece of filmmaking for animation and CGI. Uh, I watched a couple of t tutorials on rotoscoping on YouTube, and even with today's technology and applications, it still seems like it's a tedious and difficult process. It's all manual, isn't it? Uh, no, you can you can do it. So um, After Effects has a very basic version of rotoscoping. That's how you add like the blood squibs and stuff, and add a uh, an After Effects. You basically trace where you want those things to be added, and then you add them with After Effects. Um, right. But they look like dog shit. So to get rotoscoping done right yeah it's still done very manually um and there are a couple applications one of the youtube videos that i stumbled across is used by hollywood uh universal he was talking about how it's used by universal studios it costs like forty five thousand dollars a year to have the license for it and it's it's basically allows you to trace frame by frame digitally inside yeah. the inside the the i guess the the film so you upload the the movie to your computer you go through frame by frame by frame trace it all digitally and it'll add or remove whatever elements that you want and then they come in with the cgi 
and add that stuff oh later. Gosh. Yeah, it's fucking tedious. So so there's <laughs> one insane. there's one person or sorry, there's probably a group of people doing just the rotoscoping, and then there's a group of people working on the CGI while the rotoscoping's happening. Yeah, and then they map it all together. That's what I got from the videos. People who might have more knowledge of how the filmmaking process works, write in and let us know. But that's what I took away from this. Uh, I have to wonder whether or not Jason Howden's uh, inclusion of so many practical, practical effects in this film is simply because of the fact that he was sick of rotoscoping. <laughs> he could have just, like, just said, just well, I, I just, heard I out, I just found out about it, and I'm already sick of it. Yeah. Well, I think given the, the abridged timeline he had to make this movie, given the make-my-movie like requirements probably limit how much time he could spend doing stuff like rotoscoping. Yeah, that's probably true. But I mean, he could have just said, fuck it. Like let's add it in post. But, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, he used squibs. He used gallons of fake blood and tons of prosthetics throughout the flick. Instead, Uh, they did a interview with the cast at South by Southwest. And they said it was, uh, about a hundred gallons of fake blood. Hell yeah. (laughs) Just, just from the, just from them throwing it all up at the beginning of the film. Uh, the one American on the cast said 100 gallons and then was quickly corrected uh, by Jason saying 80 liters. Oh. <laughs> of course. I did stumble upon an article the other day that was talking about how stupid it is that Americans use the system that we do. Oh, the imperial of system? Every unit about of how, measuring. About how it makes no sense whatsoever and that none of it yeah. is ever going to be adopted by the rest of the world and that we're all no, idiots. No, absolutely not. Well, going back real quick to binging with Babish, he always talks in metric, and I'm like, I don't know what any of this means. <laughs> Help me. What is a gram? I've learned, I've learned meters. I've learned kilometers. You've learned that's, grams and ounces. That's true. I have learned grams and ounces, <laughs> and that's about all I understand. <laughs> that's about all I understand. Uh, after filming, or sorry, after filming a music video, in what looks like a national park nearby, uh, the, the corpse paint covered band hits a convenience store on its way back where uh, Brody runs into Medina, the town hottie. Uh, to Brody's surprise, the beautiful Medina appears to be interested in him and invites him to have ice cream with her in a scene that has literally become a meme. Well, she's also dating his douchebag cousin, right? Not or really. She's at least she, like she, close he, with him. She's he, friends with him. At least. He wants to date her, but it doesn't okay. seem like yeah. she's very interested in him at all. Because okay. he's a bully, and she's like, I'm not into that. Yeah, so this scene has literally become a meme. You can see the still from this film like used <laughs> in tons of metal memes all over the place, where he's just like sitting there with an ice cream cone in his mouth. And it's just... Uh, so in this regard alone, this movie has already permeate, permeated uh, metal culture in terms yeah. of this mm-hmm. becoming a meme, uh, which is just amazing in and of itself. Um, so... The two have these kind of like out of place, awkward behavior conversation where Brody discusses what he knows best with Medina, which is metal, offering her albums to check out by bands like <laughs> Anal Cunt and getting lost <laughs> in the weeds as he tries to give her a quick class on every metal subgenre. Medina is a trooper and she listens eagerly while giving him signals that she's interested in him in more than just a friend. However, Brody is too shy and possibly too ignorant to uh, notice the obvious flags Medina is giving him, ultimately failing at his first chance to kiss Medina by the end of the date. Can I just say real quick, the amount of times that I have had to do this with girlfriends, try to try to explain heavy metal subgenres, because like I've never dated a, a woman who's into metal. I've never done it. And so every single time that I've ever 
tried to discuss why I listen to specific things in metal and why I won't listen to other things because to everybody else it's just metal. They're yeah. just all they're, Absolutely. they're like, "Oh, it's just it's it's just heavy metal music. It all sounds the same. Uh-huh. It's one guy, there's distorted guitars. It's it's all the same." You're like, "Oh, and no, I'm like, no, 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 no." <laughs> no, 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 no. Literally every single woman I've ever dated. <laughs> I've had to have a conversation with about this. And they have all collectively nodded their heads, and I can see their eyes glazing over <laughs> and just being like, yeah, all right, I get it. Yeah, sure. Cool. Thanks. Right. Can I interest you in some some symphonic electronic black metal? <laughs> <laughs> Always. Because <laughs> like, like plenty of times, like uh, girlfriends of mine in the past come up to me and be like, hey, do you like this band, blah, blah, blah. And be like, no, that's like, that's, that's, uh, that's like this, this, that's like pussy grindcore. <laughs> Porn, 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 porno grind. Porn core. <laughs> porno grind. What are you talking about? And they'll, be like, they'll be like, what? And I'll be like, what? But you don't like them? And I'll be like, no. I think this movie's like, big question it's for metal, Palmer right? was, uh, this movie's big question for Palmer was, do you like Trivium? <laughs> yes. There you yeah. go. <laughs> no is the answer to that question. Uh, he said, no. <laughs> at home, Brody notices sheets of music hidden inside their record's cover. The band plays the song as lights flicker in response. Brody's uncle Albert, who is outside, hyperventilates and starts to bleed from his eyes. Brody senses yeah. that something is wrong and abruptly stops playing his guitar before they manage to complete the hymn. The next day in school, Brody translates the Latin writing on the old sheets of music because he just coincidentally happens to like be able to translate Latin. Mm-hmm. Like, he has his little dictionary. dictionary. Yeah. It's just who just has a Latin right? dictionary. Though? <laughs> it just he just he's, and even with a Latin dictionary, you can put it all into context and like figure it out exactly what it's supposed to be. When that right. like it takes scholars, literal scholars of Latin, <laughs> like years to figure out the context of what something that they just translated. Right. It. He's like, I figured it out, y'all. It's it's fine. This Nailed the, it. This is the <laughs> Nailed the it. first of many tidbits I have about this film and and the progression of its of its I don't know, plot points, I guess. Uh, <laughs> so he re- he finds out it reads the black hymn play to invoke the demon on the way home brody's cousin david lies in wait for him and beats him up violently along with a friend of his to make him stay away from medina in whom he is also interested in the meanwhile medina meets zach by chance and tells him that uh she couldn't find brody Ask him to give him a note because it's fucking, you know, 1950s and they don't have yeah, cell phones just text him? yeah you know you have a fucking like Nokia, like you're able to text, right? Like, <laughs> so Zach reads the note and finds out that Medina wants to meet Brody at a local park in the late evening. He uh, does not pass it on to Brody, but instead goes there himself and lies to Medina that Brody does not want to see her. He then puts his jacket around her shoulders and they kiss. Brody suspects that playing the black hymn is somehow connected to the dark forces and uh due to the humiliation by david and his friend he wants to take possession of those powers and take revenge and therefore calls the band together to play the hymn after having played it the stereo equipment explodes and the band members all fall unconscious after like foaming at the mouth with fucking what is very clearly just like (laughs) alka-seltzer after waking up all four notice something has changed brody uh, meets Terry, a strange and frightening being uh, in the school's toilet, who threatens him. I love Terry. <laughs> <laughs> Soon after the encounter with Terry, Mr. Cappenhurst starts to bleed from his from his ass. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and throws... Not, like, profusely bleed from his yeah. asshole. And throws up uh, blood 
on a student during a lesson. So bad day to wear shorts. Yeah, it really is. So the, and all white. <laughs> <laughs> so this is kind of like the introduction to the film's Evil Dead inspirations, right? Because the mm-hmm. camera angles yeah. start to get all crazy. It's very Sam Raimi inspired. Like as soon as the demons start getting introduced, like janky camera angles, very fast, fluid camera motions, mm-hmm. like zooming in and out. The camera itself is moving back and forth. There's lots of wind. It's very, very deadite, right? Like the entire time, anytime that there's a demon kind of involved in this. Um, In the evening, Brody meets Zach in a repair shop to tell him what happened when they were attacked by Zach's father, who at this point is a demon. The latter uh, acts as if he's possessed and uh, tears out his eyes and then tries to kill him because the two men... It's it's, uh, um, Pan's Labyrinth ass. Yeah, he does a very Pan's Labyrinth thing. I yeah, can see you. you. Yeah. I can see you. He's holding his eyeballs. Yeah. <laughs> um, meanwhile, Dean and Giles are also attacked and nearly killed by a possessed by a possessed person. But uh, Medina manages to save them by fucking slamming an axe in the guy's head when they're just what? trying to fight him with Hulk hands yeah, and like a paintball gun. A paintball <laughs> gun one, loaded one with metal dice. album. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so we kind of neglected that scene. So she she pops on the way home from meeting Zach. Uh, and after kissing him, she puts a metal album into her CD player because she's listening to that rap record, right? And then she listens to the metal album yeah. and then she just immediately gets transported into being like a fucking <laughs> Viking queen, which I also yeah, thought man, was funny. The heavy metal 2000. That, uh, that the... Uh, even her and her fantasy, her heavy metal fantasy still has two girls making out at the fat. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, shit, it comes with the territory. It just proves that even women fantasize about women making out. It's not, yeah. it's not ever men. <laughs> women are just prettier. I don't know what to tell you. It's true. Uh, she just shows up badass with a fucking, what is it? An axe? Yeah. Is she just cleaves the guy's head in half with an ax. Um, yeah. So trying to find out what's happening, Zach and Brody meet with Abigail, who's a fortune the, the fortune teller at the uh, Alien Records place. She tells them that they have invol- invoked a demon named Aloth, who is called the Blind One, by playing the hymn, and that the residents of the town are now possessed by Aloth's minions, which kill every human being in order to prepare for Aloth's arrival. They have until 3 a.m., because at that point, Aloth will merge with the most evil human being present, before she is able to tell them how to undo Aloth's summoning, she is killed by two of the possessed. So, right. We... But is that three o'clock like standard time? Or <laughs> Eastern time. So, what was that movie that we we covered uh, like a month or two ago, um, where they again they release the demon? They go to the high school uh, dance to track down the demon, but they have to oh, do idle it hands. Of it. What was that? Idle hands. Yeah. Um, Because it's like the same thing in Idle Hands, where there's like a very specific (laughs) time. They're like, oh, yeah, we've got like three hours. They're like, no, it's Pacific time. So it's in like 14 minutes. I forgot about that. (laughs) Oh, the good old daylight savings time (laughs) joke. (laughs) Time zones, am I right? Yeah, yeah, they suck. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And the sun. Zach is not interested in fighting Aloth any further and decides to watch the town's inevitable doom. From a nearby hill. Uh, but Brody, he manages to convince him to help because he assumes that the summoning will be undone by playing the black hymn backwards. They drive to uh, Brody's house to obtain the sheets of music. However, Zach secretly removes the note stuck in the door by Dion. 
Giles and Medina, uh, and the sheets of music are blown out the window by the wind. Suddenly, they're attacked by Brody's uncle Albert and his wife Mary, who have also been possessed, but manage to kill them using three dildos and a chainsaw, all to the tune of Beast Wars' Damn the Sky, which is a fucking gnarly track, and everybody should go listen to it immediately, <laughs> and Eight Foot Sativa's self-titled track, Eight Foot Sativa. In contrast to his parents, Brody's cousin david is not transformed yet but brody decapitates david anyways as he enters the room having decided that they will search for the paper zach and brody craft a few weapons and go after them he was absolutely a demon didn't you see it yeah couldn't, couldn't, you, yeah. couldn't you see it? i would have done the same thing fuck that guy yeah fuck that guy <laughs> that kid fucking deserved it. i'm surprised he didn't die earlier so uh he was the worst let's uh let's talk about the film's ambitious goals in terms of soundtrack and metal icon appearances. They set out to copy the formula of trick or treat by involving metal icons like Ozzy Osbourne and Iron Maiden's Bruce Dickinson and a few more, but failed. It turns out established metal bands really like money. $200,000 isn't a whole lot of money. (laughs) In response, they drafted lesser known, but equally ripping bands out of New Zealand, Australia, and the U S to contribute to the soundtrack. Uh, As response, Aishan, Emperor, Nun Slaughter, Axe Slasher, they're all established acts that all make appearances alongside the director's own band, Bullet Belt, which is a fucking great name. Elm Street and Beast Wars uh, are the two New Zealand bands that make uh, they're, they're also added to the to the credit of the soundtrack, making for a great spin that incorporates a lot of lesser-known bands with up-and-comers that establish themselves outside of the mainstream. Honestly, this goes so much farther than offering the genre staples, and this is the kind of shit that gives you tons of credit in the metal scene. Sure, it's disappointing that I couldn't find a few more familiar faces, at least in the mainstream or more casual metal listeners, but the soundtrack becomes a treat for fans of the genre. Couple this with the copious shoutouts they make to established acts like Cannibal Corpse, Judas Priest, mm-hmm. and even Sam's favorite, Trivium. And I think- <laughs> That's your favorite band. It was a joke. You like it or not. Nope, nope. And I, think I just this- got Stockholm Syndrome by this fucking movie into liking Trivium, apparently. You like Trivium now. Deal yep. with it. And I think and next time Trivium comes to town and buying tickets, Sam, we're going to go see trivium <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna fucking bash on you the entire time the trivia is on stage yep. well thank you for your birthday <laughs> and i think uh i think this movie was a huge success in that regard that i don't think it would have been if they would have been able to get the, the people that they initially set out to get well um, so emperor by itself though was a huge pull for oh the yeah director. but there's only one emperor track on that there's uh, most of these other bands have two or three song. El- Elm Street also only has one track, but most right. Of the other but like bands that was like a big two or thing three personally for him because he was such a big fan of theirs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in the meantime, the members of the cult have be- have come to Grey Point to serve Aloth. They meet with Terry, who appears to be Aloth's ambassador. Terry promises Aeon that Aloth will merge with him. In this moment. Aeon is killed by his uh, acolyte, Shauna, who then claims that she is the lead of the cult. And after having found... So keep in mind, this is the woman who's blowing him under the desk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> During the, the beheading Lewinsky. scene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Monica Lewinsky is now assumed power within, within the yeah. ranks of this cult. Uh, after having found all the sheets of notes, uh, Zach and Brody go to the school uh, building where they notice that there's uh, there's amplifiers there just coincidentally <laughs> that helped them play the hymn backwards they then meet dion giles and medina and as brody notices zach's jacket in medina's bag zach's lie is revealed brody is hurt and angered by zach's betrayal and zach tells brody that he's not interested in medina but simply wanted to have some fun to which brody responds he was bored right yeah he was just yeah. bored um 
To which Brody responds with a punch to Zack's face. A fight ensues between the two, and Zack manages to win. He then decides that uh, he's going to leave town because he's he's an angry metal kid. So and... are either of you surprised that Zack won that fight? Because I wasn't. I wasn't. He's like twice the size of Brody. He's twice. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a buff boy. Yeah, there is, there is a reason that there are weight classes in fighting. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, reasoning that they can stop the evil by playing the music backwards and that they must play loud enough for the entire town to hear. Brody and the others go to Ricky Dagger's house to use Ricky's amplifiers. There, Shauna and the cult confront the teens. Shauna takes Medina hostage, forcing Brody to turn over the music pages in exchange, and Shauna tears up the sheets and takes everybody prisoner. However, Zach feels a little bit of remorse for his friends. Turns out he's not such a bad guy and returns to them. But first, he needed to go home and put on his battle vest and his corpse paint, it's which not isn't makeup. makeup. Yeah, it's not makeup, guys. It's, corp- it's not makeup. It's, not it's makeup, corpse okay. paint. <laughs> <laughs> he manages to free them, and they attack the cult during their ritual for Aloth. Brody starts to play the black hymn backwards while the others defend him from the attacks of the cult members. In this fight, most of the cult members, as well as Dion and Giles, are killed. Brody does not manage to play the hymn entirely before 3 a.m., and Aloth is able to enter Shauna's body. Zack then kills her, but since he's the most evil person amongst the remaining, Aloth takes possession of his body, and Brody realizes it's too late to complete the hymn. So instead, he just plays heavy metal straight from his heart. The power the of heaviest the riff you got, bro. <laughs> the power of the music causes Zack to collapse and temporarily transform back into his human body, but the respite is brief. As Zack can feel the demon trying to regain control, Zack then urges Brody to kill him in order to prevent the demon's resurrection, which Brody eventually does. Mm. A few months later, Brody and Medina are happy are a happy death metal couple in Greypoint, which is fucking great. I love the transformation that Medina goes through. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> In like three months. Yeah, right. <laughs> it doesn't take long. Bro. It doesn't. It it's, doesn't. It's literally the metal, the metal fantasy of the manic pixie dream girl. It really is. It really is. <laughs> it is. Uh, Brody puts on a record, and Zach's spirit plays a prank to make it look like Aloth is returning. In the post-credit scene, Brody and Zach, who is speaking through the record player, have a conversation about what hell just might be like. Mm-hmm. Stick around for the post-credit scene, people. It's yeah. fucking hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. So there was a, a rumored sequel to this movie mm-hmm. uh, that the, the rumor kind of came up almost as soon as this movie was released, but it was uh, titled, supposed to be titled Deathgasm Part 2 Gormageddon. Well, this movie, this movie did a lot better than a lot of people thought it would. Like, it was yeah. very well received. It did well uh, in terms of sales and rentals and all that stuff. And it was just, it was um, pretty well adopted, I think, by mm. people who like heavy metal music, people that like horror films, like people um, who like memes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> but supposedly, production for this was going to start in December of 2015. Uh, and this whole rumor kind of got kicked off by Jason Lee Haddon himself when he said on Instagram, uh, so I just finished this. There is literally more gore in the first 10 minutes than the entire first Deathgasm. If you kind of liked the first, this will make your head implode. If you thought the first Deathgasm was puerile, juvenile, and dumb, then Gormageddon will melt your face off and force you to barricade yourself inside, safe with some Terrence Malick and Coldplay. Um, things were pretty quiet for a while. Um, and in fact, if you, if you search for uh, Deathgasm 2... Really, you're only getting results from the end of 2015 or from May of last year. So 
it, about a year ago, there were new reports that surfaced uh, that this was actually happening. Uh, it was reported that Grimfest Films, which is responsible for the aptly titled Grimfest Film Festival in England, uh, was the the two founders of that had started Grimfest Films, which uh, their goal was to develop, produce, and part finance films and content from filmmakers who have premiered work in the festival. Uh, and Deathgasm 2 is one of the titles that they were going to help produce. The problem, though, uh, much like the sequel was, or much like when the sequel was originally announced, is that this announcement came and went with all sorts of sites picking it up last May, and then there's been, like, no word on it since. Uh, so Grimfest's own website barely even exists. Uh, I noticed that. <laughs> with a, a placeholder that says, new site coming soon, splash page that's managed on a Wix platform being the only thing that you can even find from them. Um, I don't know if this sequel was ever going to happen. Uh, I, again, everything I've searched for either comes up from 2016 or from May of last year. Um, it goes through like these quick bursts, which apparently it shows that a lot of people are interested uh, in the sequel. There's a lot of excitement every time. Yeah, I'd be super uh, stoked to see a sequel to this film, honestly. Absolutely. Every time that something gets announced for this, there's a ton of excitement that comes and goes like really quickly. Um, and I, I want it to happen. Uh, we need more weird shit. New Zealand's really good at it, apparently. Um, and I want to know what's in store for Brody uh, and if he and Zach ever get to bang heads together. I hope that they do. Once again, the two of them will pair up and fight over Medina and demons all at the same time. I think it should become like a Wayne's World thing, but like a like a dead musicians only, where <laughs> where Brody and Medina have to like set up this concert, and Zach is gonna bring all of the artists that he was talking about at the end of the post credits back from hell to okay. play the greatest concert of all time. What they really need to do is uh, release Death Gas in Part Two: Airheads, featuring Brendan Fraser and Adam Sandler. <laughs> <laughs> what about Steve Buscemi? You can't and leave Steve him out. Steve Buscemi is the bassist. <laughs> <laughs> no, God. No, Brendan, Brendan Fraser was the bassist. Oh, was it Brendan Fraser? I thought Steve Buscemi was the bassist. Oh, it's no, been a while right. since I've seen, It's been a while since I've seen Airheads. Uh, but yeah, I would love for there to be a sequel to this film. Honestly, this is one of those movies that, like, uh, I've seen it. Mm -hmm. six or seven times at this point and it's simply because of the fact that it's like on every streaming platform it's out there all over the place uh it's funny it's an easy watch like you can put it on mm -hmm. you can you can clean your house to it you can <laughs> watch it it's one of those films that like it'll come up on shutter or something like that and i'll turn it on and i won't pay attention in the first 15 minutes or so and then i'm hooked and then first I, start, I sit down and I'm like, oh, yeah, that part was really funny. Oh, yeah, that part was really funny. And it just it speaks to uh, the metalhead inside of me. And maybe there are plenty of people out there that don't understand what that feeling is like. But this it speaks. To yeah, you. this movie, this movie is is near and dear to my heart. I wouldn't. It's got some really good gore mixed in there, too, though. It really does. Yeah, there's some there's a lot of the, there's a lot of blood. The one the one gore scene that I thought was like wildly over the top uh in comparison to everything else that you saw in the movie i think it's guiles whichever one the skinny super dork that gets uh dice shoved up his butthole yeah uh when he yeah. gets his head and spine ripped out of his body oh yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's that's like, straight out of mortal Kombat, dude real talk yeah absolutely <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but like compared to all the other stuff we see in the movie like that that one like they really went all out for that one 
Oh, yeah. Is that the same one where his intestines came out, or was that when the mom? That was, was getting... when the mom was. Because that was also like when her, all of her like large intestine flop around on the floor, yeah. like. Ugh. And don't <laughs> don't awesome. forget, we also we also skipped over when uh, Brody takes his barbed wire weed whacker and goes yeah. to oh, cuts off that, that guy's dong. gigantic yeah. penis. Yep. Yep. There's a lot of good kills in this movie. And that guy. You got full frontal in this movie. You do. Yeah, like, that, guy, that guy did have a massive dick. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> like, holy shit, dude. <laughs> Why not? Well, yeah, I guess I guess so. If you're gonna put a prosthetic on there, make it make it a donger, dude. Why not? Make it a <laughs> <laughs> this Begging this movie Megan. literally has everything that you'd want from a horror movie outside of like the seriousness. Yes. That's true. It is definitely very comedic it is well. it is it is everything's very like this is spinal tap turn that shit to 11 like mm-hmm. like uh, it embraces heavy metal culture in all aspects while uh making fun of everything that's not a part of it right like like yeah. i i think that's especially when we compare it to what we covered last week like this one so we we, we talked about how like last week's film does a good job of touching on some of those things this one fucking wholeheartedly embraces all of it, like a hundred percent from 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 the get go. It's all about crunchy riffs, fucking badass babes, gore and demons, dude. Like <laughs> that's all that heavy metal is about. Yeah. That's literally all that heavy metal is about, and that's all it ever wanted to be about in the first place. <laughs> it definitely feels a lot more organic. It does. It does. What are we? What are we rating this out of? Uh, I'm, I'm, I feel like we should treat it like a record review for Deathgasm. For, okay all right so what we're just gonna give it a standard rating a standard rating but i will give it the caveat that maggot sperm is a better band name and they should have gone with that <laughs> could you imagine if the movie was just called maggot sperm God, that'd be amazing that would be amazing walmart walmart really would have had a field day with that one yeah how, how would they change the name for that <laughs> they would have just put stickers over it <laughs> uh i'll give this a four out of five this this was really fun. I'm I'm glad I finally watched the entire thing. Yeah, I'm surprised you haven't seen this one before. Uh, mm-hmm. No offense, Alex. I'm I'm not surprised you hadn't seen it before, but I am surprised that Sam hadn't seen this before. I'm so offended. I'm so I'm so happy that you're offended by that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Alex, what are you giving this? I will also give this four out of five. Oh, okay, okay. I'm uh, gonna give it a three point five. Okay. And uh, that makes it a 3.833333333. It doesn't sound nearly as badass. Damn it. Damn it. We just broke a hot streak, We did. There's a lot of 666 going on. Damn it. It's all right. It's all right. We'll be back to it, hopefully, next week. It's time for the housekeeping. Next week, we're keeping you on your toes. It won't be a heavy metal horror choice because we're jumping into a grindhouse double feature. We have two indie films developed by fans of the cast that have submitted to us them to us to check them out and we have had them on our fucking list for a while. I can no longer ignore them. It has to happen next week. Uh, the two films are uh, going to be a lot of fun. One of them is in physical, so I'm going to have to wipe it down and pass it down along to you guys in uh, in quarantine mode. Is it like a DVD? It's a Blu-ray. Oh, shit. I don't have a Blu-ray player. Oh, no. (laughs) 
I'm gonna have to see if my PlayStation even still works. I was gonna say you're gonna have to wipe down your PlayStation. Why don't you just rip it and send it to us? I'll do. I don't have. I don't have the ability to rip it. He doesn't have a disc drive. I don't have a disc drive on my my laptop or on my PC. I've got an external disc drive. I just don't know if it'll play Blu-rays. Uh, I, I also need to find it. I don't know where it is. <laughs> oh, there it Anyways, is. Logistics. I guess I'm handing down my PlayStation. That's Here just going to be the way that's going to have to roll. Sweet. Uh, so we're going to be wiping these down, passing them along to one another for double viewing since we can't all watch them together because quarantine's fucking rule. Yay. <laughs> oh, well. Yay. We'll discuss those next week and get back to you guys. Uh, get back on track with our heavy metal horror film the week after. Um, you can follow us on social media like Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all at Terror and Podnito. You can follow us individually too. I'm Palmer at Sturmsworth. I'm posting about how my son is now six months old and uh, I need to insert a stereotypical, where does the time go? <laughs> Swoon there. And uh, my garden, which is currently freezing to death because for some fucking stupid reason, we're still getting frost in the middle of fucking May. Anyways, I Alex, mean, there's like 12 inches of snow that got dumped up in New York. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, well, you can find me at A Looters, and I post pictures of my cat and my baked goods, Ooh. and sometimes my baby. Ooh. And I'm at Sam Hebes, uh, and I don't post that much right now. You don't? No, I'm more ha- active on Instagram now. You are. I've, I've reverted back to for the Twitter. I've reverted back to lurking because I've got nothing to say since I don't leave the house. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, as always, thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week with more of what you have come to know and love from us. As always, Alex. Uh, happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there, and also keep it creepy. Oh shit! It is Mother's Day tomorrow, isn't it? Buy your mom a big, a nice big dildo so you can kill her in the future. <laughs> She's begging for a pagan. Oh, thank God. <laughs> uh...